Blog Talk Radio. and Sportsbeat Radio, this is Sportsbeat, a provocative, insightful, informative, and educational show that we hope will educate the sports listener to the specific of sport. With interviews, analysis, and a comprehensive look at the topics we feel will be appealing to the listener, and with that said, we're not just your average call-in, same subject, same question over and over sports radio, but we like to think of ourselves as informative and educational radio. So why not sit back, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we hope you'll find the program informative, educational, and above all, enjoyable. And with that said and done, this is Sportsbeat, and we're coming at you live, and I'm your host, John Spola. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this Friday program, the 26th day of August, 2022. Thanks so much for joining us on another segment of Sports Beat Radio, talking sports. Hopefully all of you are well as we approach uh, the next holiday, Labor Day, and the official end of summer. But that doesn't actually end until October. But nonetheless, thanks for joining us. Today our show is dedicated to Len Dawson Legacy. And, you know, it's interesting because, to me, I guess you have to be probably maybe mid-60s up which is where I'm at. One by one, our heroes are are passing away. You know, I I was looking today before the show, and, you know, I saw the great Joe Schmidt back in the days of the 60s when we had great middle linebackers and linebackers like Dick Buckdisk and and some of the others. Joe Schmidt is a Hall of Famer who um, graced the lawns of uh, Tiger Stadium way back in the 60s and played uh, linebacker for uh, the Detroit Lions. He's now 90 years old. Uh, The great Jim Taylor passed away not long ago, who ran all those great sweeps uh, in Green Bay, you know, gave gave him the ball, and he would run, and Fuzzy Thurston and Jerry Kramer would be pulling and mowing down people that, uh, you know, was so reminiscent of the Packer uh, dynasty in the 60s. Uh, You know, Otis Taylor is... uh, uh, basically, uh, you know, bedridden at this point now, uh, the great uh, receiver for the Chiefs, who uh, many feel should be in the Hall of Fame, me included. Uh, you know, you look uh, back and Bart Starr, who was the MVP of the first two Super Bowls, has passed away. Um, you know, it's just amazing when you look at it. And, of course, uh, many people now who uh, uh, enjoyed the talents of Len Dawson, number 16 for the Kansas City Chiefs. He was an original chief. Um, You know, and it's an interesting story because I've always felt that life is kind of being in the right place at the right time. I think that has a lot to do with success. You know, you look at a guy like Jeff Bezos, who one of the richest people in the world, billions and billions of dollars. Uh, he, He started his business uh, with uh, Amazon as a bookseller, many probably you know, in his garage. And people laughed at him. They said, you know, what are you doing? And, you know, that's why you always have to follow your dreams. I'm going to give you a quote in a minute about Len Dawson, and that's why you should always follow your dreams. 
And I always tell young people that because if I can leave any kind of uh, permanent inkage on young people, I would say follow your dreams. Follow what you think you can do in your life because your life is so much better when you're living your dream because most of us don't do that. But, you know, you you look at a, a guy like Len Dawson, who uh, was one of, I believe, 11 kids. Uh, he went to Alliance High School in Ohio, uh, was a standout football player, basketball player, I believe a track star, and uh, goes into Purdue University. And, you know, some people make the right decisions. We look at a guy like Tom Brady. Now, Tom Brady, you know, arguably, I don't know if he can even argue, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. Although I've always said that greatness comes with era. You know, would he have been able to play back in the 30s when Sammy Ball was there? Would he have been able to play in the 60s when you had all those great defenses? Who knows? Probably not, but it doesn't matter because he's already left his indelible uh, stain on the fabric and I mean a good stain on the fabric of uh, NFL history. But, you know, would Tom Brady have been there if Drew Bledsoe doesn't get knocked out by the New York Jets, who was the quarterback there? I mean, Brady may never have had a career in, in, in football. Uh, had he not signed with the Patriots, he may not have been anywhere near as good. Here he is now, you know, in his mid-40s, and he's still playing. It's unbelievable. Um, so the decisions that people make, you know, you look at the Beatles. Uh, I had heard Paul McCartney say one time that, you know, we were a pretty good little band, he said, but we came at the very right time. I mean, because there was a whole wave of uh, people at their backs, the British Invasion and, you know, even the American groups, Dave Clark Five and Paul Revere and the Raiders and all these bands that, uh, you know, came after. But uh, the Beatles were really the closest to a group after you had individual players like uh, Buddy Holly and Bill Haley and, uh, you know, Little Richard and, of course, Elvis. And so being in the right place at the right time, and Len Dawson goes to Purdue University on a scholarship, and there's a guy there uh, who's a line coach by the name of Hank Schramm. Many of you may know who he is. I think Hank Schramm was one of the great coaches of all time. But before he became a Dallas Texan, and for those of you who don't know, the Dallas Texans were the Kansas City Chiefs the first year in 1960 before they moved north to uh, Kansas City. He actually uh, kind of nurtured Len Dawson. And then Dawson went on to a pro career with the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, not very successful. And then he was with the Cleveland Browns, and he was even less successful. And this is where that quote comes in that I wanted to mention to you about always listening to your own inner voice. Don't listen to other people who tell you that you don't or can't do it. And that was uh, the great Paul Brown. Paul Brown, of course, uh, the... uh, architect of the Cleveland Browns. He's the namesake of the Cleveland Browns. The Browns were named after him. That's why they don't have a logo on their helmet. And Paul Brown said when Len Dawson was at Cleveland, he said there was another coach that uh, they were going to release 
Len Dawson because they just didn't feel that he would fit in. And Paul Brown said to this coach of another team who was interested in Len Dawson, he said, I don't know that uh, Lenny can play in this NFL league. <laughs> you know, and this is Paul Brown, who I've, I've always felt was somewhat overrated. Uh, I know everybody feels he's the coach of all time, but he he coached a Cleveland Browns team that was actually in a different league then, the old American Football League, not the one uh, that uh, the Chiefs were a part of in 1960, but there was another uh, offshoot of the NFL, uh, and he had won a lot of championships there in this old league before it merged into the NFL. Some of the teams that were there were the Colts and the 49ers. Uh, they ended up in the NFL, but he wasn't as successful uh, in the NFL as he was in the old AFL. I think he was somewhat overrated. Uh, but anyway, he said, and he was supposedly uh, the guru of coaches, he said, I don't think Len Dawson has the talent to play in the NFL. And it's a good thing that Len didn't listen because he was basically done in football. It was pretty much over because there was, if you couldn't make in the NFL, you didn't play professionally. There were no other leagues, really, until Lamar Hunt, a very wealthy Dallas oil man, decided that he couldn't buy a franchise in the NFL. He wanted to buy the Cardinals from the Bidwell family, and they wouldn't sell. And none of the owners would sell, so he started his own league, and it was the uh, foolish group. That's what they called them, group of fools. The Foolish Eight, whatever they called them, there were eight teams originally uh, in the AFL. He owned the Dallas Texans and was kind of the founder of the AFL, and that gave everybody a chance. You know, when you look at the AFL, you have an incredible amount of Hall of Famers. And Len Dawson comes to the Dallas Texans in 1960, and on, uh, to his surprise – is the former assistant coach of Purdue Boilermakers, and that was Hank Stram, who was one of his uh, coaches at Purdue. And Hank Stram knew what Len Dawson could do, and really the rest is history. Len Dawson became, he didn't have the charisma, let's say, of a Namath or, you know, the probably the firepower of a Hadel or a Daryl LaMonica, you know, the Mad Bomber. But Hank Stram said that he felt that Len Dawson was the most accurate passer he's ever seen. You know, he would throw – the Chiefs didn't really throw the ball long a lot, although they did throw occasionally long to Otis Taylor. And Dawson would become iconic in a, in a Dallas, Texas uniform. And then uh, Lamar Hunt decided that the Cowboys, who were already there, they came in 1960 as well – he didn't feel the two teams would be able to uh, be in the same town, particularly in Dallas. So the uh, Chiefs, the Texans, became the Kansas City Chiefs and moved to uh, Kansas City in 1963, I believe it was. And so the rest is, you know, kind of history. Hank Stram, one of the most innovative coaches of all time. I think he's right up there, maybe not too far behind Vince Lombardi and some of the great, great coaches. Uh, he knew that Len Dawson was not very mobile as a quarterback. We remember him not as a scrambler or wasn't really comfortable out of the pocket. So Hank Stram divide, uh, uh, divides the uh, – incorporates, I should say, uh, 
the moving pocket. And that allowed Dawson to get free. Most of the time, Dawson would go to his right. And whenever he went to his right, rolled right, you knew he was going to throw. And Hank Stram molded this cast-off into a Hall of Fame quarterback. Unfortunately, he lost Super Bowl one, got uh, pretty well beat up in Super Bowl win against Lombardi's Packers, although it was uh, very close at halftime. I believe it was 14 to 10. Chiefs were uh, only behind by four points, but that's all the points they would score. I believe 35 to 10 was the final. Uh, Bart Starr was the MVP. I think Max McGee should have been. But nonetheless, four years later, Lenny the Cool was the nickname that they gave him because he comes in now to Tulane Stadium in New Orleans against a very powerful Bud Grant-led Minnesota Viking team. And they basically, the Chiefs kicked their ass. This was uh, a great defensive team. They had Joe Cap, who was a, a decent quarterback, mostly out of Canada, made his reputation. And uh, the Chiefs, under Hank Stram, and, uh, you know, keep matriculating down, down the field, keep matriculating the ball down the field, and 65 toss power trap. And uh, what did I tell you, boys? This is, uh, uh, you know, this, is, uh, this always was going to work. Uh, Hank Stram was. Uh, a little bit of a narcissist, but a great coach. And, uh, you know, when you look at that Kansas City team, I mean, there were so many great players. Otis Taylor, Mike Garrett, who was, uh, uh, I believe, a Heisman Trophy winner out of USC. Uh, Dawson. Um, you, you know, you had uh, uh, Jerry Mays uh, on the defensive side. Buck Buchanan, who was a monster of a man. Next to Ernie Ladd, I think Buck Buchanan was probably the big, one of the biggest people in football. He was he was a, a butt kicker, and you know they had all these uh, Jim Tyre, Ed Buddy, uh, Fred Arbanis, who had vision in one eye, he was mugged in Kansas City at one point, lost his eye, uh, the, the vision in his eye, and played the game basically with one eye, and he he was really the prototype of what tight ends would become. And so Len Dawson now becomes iconic. They win Super Bowl four. He is the MVP under the worst conditions. Uh, here is this stellar guy. I, I think probably next to Bart Starr, uh, Len Dawson was probably as pristine as you could get. He was a family man, a father. Uh, he mingled with people. He signed autographs. He posed with pictures. He did everything. Uh, he said at one point that he was overwhelmed by the gratitude that people showed. Never, ever did he would not sign an autograph for anyone or take a picture, no matter where he was, even if he was in a hurry. That kind of spirit is somewhat lost in the prima donnas of today. Not that all athletes are like that, but the majority of them, you know, are not Bart Starr and not Len Dawson. And so he would go on to be the MVP, as I said, in Super Bowl four, beating this very good Minnesota team. Minnesota would also have the tag of losing several other Super Bowls. And then he took a call from President Nixon, I believe it was at the time. Nixon called, and uh, he was under the duress of allegations of gambling. He supposedly gambled and uh, – 
everybody was kind of shell-shocked from uh, the accusations. But uh, when the uh, sheets were uh, washed, no negatives came. And Len Dawson was cleared of all the allegations, playing, you know, playing the game basically under duress because he was uh, facing criminal charges. And all of it was uh, baloney. Didn't happen. And so Len Dawson now becomes this guy who basically was out of football in 1959, becomes not only iconic, but he becomes a Hall of Famer. And unfortunately, uh, he had prostate cancer at one point in the 90s. Uh, I don't know what the official cause of death was. I think it was cancer. It could have been prostate, which does spread to the lymph nodes. And uh, with his wife, Linda, I believe her name was, as a side and some very, very close friends, uh, he passed away a few days ago at the age of 87. What a life he had. So... Uh, his unmistakable swagger, and, you know, it helped the Chiefs to their first Super Bowl title, earned his nickname Lenny the Cool. He died Wednesday. So the family announced his death in a statement through KMBC in Kansas City. I believe that was the station there. He was the sports director after uh, he retired. And uh, he starred in his second career, as I said, a broadcaster there. No cause was given, but I had read that uh, it looked like uh, – uh, a pre-situation uh, with prostate cancer. Uh, he entered a hospice care on August 12th. And so his wife, uh, Linda, said, it is with much sadness that we inform you of the passing of our beloved Len Dawson. He was a wonderful husband, father, brother, and friend. Len was always grateful and many times overwhelmed by the countless bonds he made during his football and broadcast career. So Dawson was, as I said, the MVP of the Chiefs' 23-7 Super Bowl victory over the Vikings, January 1970. And he's synonymous with Kansas City Chiefs. That's what owner Clark Hunt, who is the son of Lamar Hunt, uh, said in a statement on Wednesday, he said, Lem embraced and came to everybody, Kansas City, and the people that call it home. And you would be hard-pressed to find a player who had a bigger impact in shaping the organization as we know it today than Len Dawson. So he personified the Chiefs almost from the start when the Suave standout from Purdue lost out in the starting job, as I said, in Pittsburgh and Cleveland and landed uh, with this uh, Dallas franchise. He reunited, as I said, with Hank Stram, and he had been an assistant with the Boilermakers, and the two changed the franchise, the coach and quarterback, won the AFL championship together in 62. Now, a lot of people don't remember that the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, who were the Dallas Texans, won in uh, overtime against the Houston Oilers. The Oilers had been champions 60-61 with George Bland at quarterback, and uh, at Jefferson Stadium, which I believe is still there outside of Houston. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still called that because everything switches now with uh, trade names. Uh, The uh, Dallas Texans, uh, I think it was Tommy Brooker, if I'm not mistaken, kicked the winning field goal in overtime as uh, the Dallas Texans would beat the Houston Oilers and George Bland to to take the title. So the Chiefs actually had won uh, in 1962 in the AFL championship. So, 
Dawson always remained a beloved figure in Kansas City, even though he cut back on public appearances several years ago when his health began to fail. But he always had time for fans, whether photograph or signature, and the latter often on an iconic black-and-white photo from halftime of the first Super Bowl. Remember that famous picture, the exhausted quarterback, white uniform cake with mud sitting on a folding chair with a cigarette in his mouth and a bottle of Fresca at his feet. He was a three-time athlete, uh, sport athlete, as I said, at Alliance High School. He set records in both football and basketball, and he turned his success on the gridiron into a scholarship offer from Purdue. And he led the NCAA in passing efficiency as a sophomore while also playing defense and kicking and helped lead an upset of Notre Dame during that 54 season. By the end of his college career, he had thrown for more than 3,000 yards despite playing in an era that favored ground and pound football. It was kind of like the Chuck Knox of uh, Seattle. So he was chosen by the Steelers in the first round of 1957, but he wound up riding the bench behind Earl Morrill as the rookie and then failed to beat out Bobby Lane for the starting job the following seasons. And so uh, with newfound freedom to sign anywhere, Dawson jumped to the upstart AFL and the Texans, lured in part by a chance to play for one of his old coaches at Purdue, Stram, as I said earlier, he tapped into his talent, helped Dawson to quickly become one of the league's prolific passers as the Texans won 11-3 and and won the first of three championships. The second came in 1966 when Dawson led the Chiefs to an 11-2-1 record and a 31-7 blowout of the Bills in the AFL title game. That was the game in Old War Memorial Stadium in Buffalo that was uh, the 1 o'clock game that would decide the AFL member for Super Bowl one, And then uh, later on, it would be the uh, Packers and the Cowboys. Uh, that was not the Ice Bowl. A lot of people get that wrong. Um, the first Super Bowl was the Packers and the Cowboys played, I believe it was at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, where Lombardi's Packers won. And then the second year, when the uh, Packers played uh, the uh, Oakland Raiders in the second year, uh, that was the Ice Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that was the 1 o'clock game. And then the uh, Oilers took on the uh, Daryl LaMonica and the Oakland Raiders out in the House of Thrills out there in Oakland and were destroyed uh, in that game as were the uh, Oakland Raiders in Super Bowl two. So... It was in the 69 season that proved to be the most memorable of Dawson's career. He sustained a serious knee injury against the Patriots in week two. He forced them to miss five games, but he went on to tear once back on the field. He led the Chiefs to victories over the defending champion Jets. And, of course, the bitter rival Raiders to reach what would be the final Super Bowl before the AFL-NFL merger, where he threw for 142 yards and a score of 23-7. to And so that kind of shows that even though people feel that you're not the person for the job, that you don't have the talent, as Paul Brown said, you march on to your own drummer and you listen to no one if you feel you have the talent. And that's what you know, greatness does. That's what Jeff Bezos does. Now I'm not talking about, you know, whether you like Bezos or you like Len Dawson or, you know, the politicalness of it. I'm talking about the accomplishment of people. You know, I mean, Jeff Bezos was told that he was nuts for what he was doing. 
mean, look what he's created. You know, unbelievable. You know, the so-called experts, Paul Brown, the Lens doesn't have what it takes to play in the, in the NFL. No, he only became uh, an MVP and uh, a uh, two-time champion, 62, with the Dallas Texans winning the AFL championship against the Oilers. And then in 70, uh, beating uh, the uh, Bud Grant's Minnesota Vikings. You know, it was just like Vince Lombardi had said, and I have great respect for Lombardi, but uh, he had been saying privately that he didn't feel the AFL, this was before Super Bowl I, he didn't feel that the AFL was on the same level of some of the mediocre teams in the NFL. And at the end of the game, at the end of the Super Bowl, first Super Bowl, uh, I believe it was Tom Brookshire for CBS that uh, interviewed Lombardi. Lombardi didn't like the camera. He was very uncomfortable uh, in front of the camera, but he didn't have much of a choice, really. Uh, he had the, he was the voice of the Packers, really. And so uh, Brookshire asked him, he said, you know, what do you think of – this team, what do you think of the AFL? And he finally said, I don't think it's on the level of some of our mediocre teams. You can see that tape on YouTube. Um, and nothing could have been farther from the truth. Lombardi wasn't wrong very often, but he was wrong there because only two years later, Joe Namath would beat a Baltimore Colt team in Miami in Super Bowl three that I thought was better than the first two Packer teams. And it was a magnificent architectural blueprint put together by Weeb Eubank, another very good coach. I mean, you look at the AFL and what it had. You know, John Madden always said uh, on his telecast uh, over and over how much he appreciated Al Davis giving him the opportunity with the Chargers way back in 60 uh, to uh, to be uh, what he would be. He said he never would have been in football probably had it not been for Al Davis and the AFL. And you look at uh, John Madden, he became uh, one of the, you know, more aspired coaches. I think his record still stands uh, from his coaching back in the 70s. Uh, you know, multi-millionaire, uh, the voice of football in his telecast. Uh, you look at Sid Gilman, who was Jewish, uh, didn't have the opportunities as anti-Semitism reared its head in the NFL. Uh, he became uh, one of the great innovators of uh, the modern offense with uh, Lance Allworth and Gary Garrison and Jacques McKinnon, and the running of Paul Lowe, and, uh, of course, uh, John Hale, and Tobin wrote before him. And, you know, it goes on and on. Hank Stram probably wouldn't have had those opportunities. Hank Stram was, uh, was a great innovator of uh, the modern offense, the moving pocket, the flex defense, coming out of the eye formation that uh, – Purdue used because they were mostly a running team in those days. Most of the teams in the late 50s were not great passing teams. So the legacy then of, you know, Len Dawson uh, at 87 years old uh, chose to basically walk in the path of greatness. And were there better quarterbacks? Yeah, there were better quarterbacks, but I don't know that there were any that were more consistent and probably beloved. And, uh, you know, a great tribute the other night uh, in the preseason, the Chiefs played, uh, I believe, the Packers. And uh, Patrick Mahomes and many of the uh, Chiefs gave great uh, loyalty uh, to 
Len Dawson. As a matter of fact, they huddled in that church choir huddle that uh, the Chiefs used to use, uh, not the circular uh, huddle that they used, but that uh, what they called the church choir. Uh, they, they did it uh, in respect for Len Dawson. And, of course, uh, Patrick Mahomes wasn't even alive when Dawson played. But uh, that's the impact that he had on uh, football and that he had on the league. And so I think when we look at the legacy of Len Dawson, we can kind of learn, this is why we study history, we, we learn from the past. And we learn that uh, anybody can be somebody in the world. A guy here who not much chance to play football suddenly you know, is found in the AFL by his former coach, uh, suddenly uh, starts for the uh, Dallas Texans, suddenly becomes a champion of football in the overtime win against the Houston Oilers in 1962 and then again in 1970. And so I think the legacy for uh, uh, Len Dawson would be keep at it. You know, keep, uh, keep firing. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't achieve because Len Dawson was a perfect example of that legacy. Well, I'll about do it for our show today. Thanks so much for joining us on Sportsbeat Radio Talking Sports, talking about the legacy of the uh, passing of uh, the great Len Dawson, number 16, for the Dallas Texans and the Kansas City Chiefs. Sportsbeat's been a presentation of Mountain Meadow Productions and Sportsbeat Radio. All of you enjoy the weekend. Hope all goes well. Be safe. Enjoy. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a great day and great sports.